and welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and this time we look back on events at the Barcelona Open Bank Sabadell, the fifth ATP 500 of the season where it's been a busy finish for the finalists. A Thursday washout and showers on Saturday combined to make it double duty in an all-Spanish final. In the end, it was Carlos Alcaraz who beat first Alex Dominor in three tight sets in the semi-final and then compatriot Pablo Carreño Busta 6-3, 6-2 to claim a second ATP 500 of the year after his first in Rio to add to his first Masters 1000 title in Miami. Carlos, some of the biggest names in Spanish tennis have won this tournament before. Manolo Santana, Rafael Nadal, your coach Juan Carlos Ferrero 21 years ago. And now you're on this list. What does it mean to be part of the Well, it, it, it means a, a lot. I mean, I, I've watched the, this tournament since I, uh, since I, I was a kid. I mean, I always wished uh, to play in this tournament and, of course, uh, be able to win the, this tournament. So uh, I'm really, really happy to be part of, of the Spanish uh, history list. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that before the match. You listened to the soundtrack of the Rocky movie. <laughs> yes, I try to, to listen to that, that song in the, every match. I mean, before before every match, I, I try to listen to that, that song, motivating me. Is that that fighting spirit that you think set you apart this week from the rest of the field? Yes, of course. I mean, when I listen to the, the music, I remember the, the movie and the, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. The, the spirit fight that the Rocky has and everything I try to to have that experience in, the, in every match, so uh, that's what motivated me. A very happy Carlos Alcaraz, who once again this week, at the age of just 18, has shown maturity beyond his years. And it's not just the fans and the media he's impressing. He's also the talk of the locker room. Fellow players Diego Schwartzman, Cameron Norrie, and first the man he beat in the Barcelona final, and a mentor of sorts, Pablo Carreño Busta. Well, he's uh, after Rafa in this moment the, the best Spanish tennis player. He's playing unbelievable, uh, winning Miami. Uh, you know, he lost uh, in Monte Carlo, but it's something normal. No, He comes to from Miami, winning his first Master 1000, and after that he couldn't practice enough time to, to be ready to play on clay. But Carlos has a lot of energy, uh, plays really good also on clay courts. He loves play, playing clay courts. So for sure we enjoy watching him and I speak with him a few moments ago and he's ready to, to do his best. It's great to see, you know, he's uh, winning a, t- a tournament like that in Miami is, is obviously huge at that age and to, to have the um, humility to do that and, and just the belief in himself at that age to do it is, is unbelievable. I'm sure he's got, must be pretty difficult for him, you know, coming here um, back home in Spain and have a lot of hype around him and a lot of people comparing him to, to Rafa and, and thinking what he can do in the sport. There's, there's a lot of people putting, maybe putting a lot of uh, external pressure on him. So I think um, it's not going to be easy for him, but I think he's got the character and he's got the level of tennis to, to, to deal with that. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool what he's doing, you know. And you, if I was him, I'd take all that, take that every day of the week, you know, having all that hype and that expectation and and everything. It's not going to be easy, but um, it's I'm I'm sure he's enjoying it and he's in, he's in a um, very 
very good situation at the moment. <laughs> he's 18, but you know, he looks like he's not 18. It's more like uh, 30 already, you know. Uh, he's very professional. He's always trying to improve, you know, how he's outside of the court. At the end, I think he's he's doing very well. And the team who, ha you know, he has, uh, they are so good. They, they were so good, you know, former Grand Slam champions. So I think he, he, he's going to do very well. Obviously, he have to adapt to a different ranking, different tournaments, different pressure uh, to play at home, to play, you know, for the people now it's expecting for him to do well, but I think he's, he's going to do great. So far, he's certainly managed to take things in his stride, and that's impressed Monte Carlo champion Stefano Tsitsipas and former junior world number one, Grigor Dimitrov. I think it's great what he's been able to do already in such an early, you know, such an early age, playing already quite, quite mature tennis, I would say. Uh, physically seems on a very, very high level, which is nice, nice to see. You don't really get the chance to see like a younger, sort of the younger kid. He's still a kid. I mean, now I can say a kid, um, you know, moving that well, hitting the ball that well. But, you know, it's just time. Timing is everything. I think just less pressure on him from, from everybody around and let him do his thing and see how he's going to develop. But for now, he seems to be on the right path. Well, obviously, he has the experience and he has experienced most of the players on the tour. He has uh, built a rivalry with most of us. And I think that's uh, something that can help him. I don't think it can hurt him in a way. In the beginning, he was the underdog. And now I feel like he's more based. Uh, people know him better, uh, has been more on the tour. Uh, so obviously, you know, um, we want to beat him as badly as he does now. The final word to the man himself, who's loved being back on home soil. Knowing that the people is supporting you, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I think it's important, it's important to have uh, a good crowd, uh, the, the people support you in tough moments in the, in the matches. I think it's, it's really important. And uh, I don't think that the, the people uh, put expectation on, on me, just uh, thinking about the, the people is supporting me and uh, they want me to, to win, that, that's all. Not, not expectation. I mean, I I like to to be up in the in the ranking, to to be in the good seat, and uh, yeah, I, I like to be in that position. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. In many ways, it wasn't surprising that Pablo Carreño Busta reached the final in Barcelona. The Spaniard has a strong all-court game, but has made the semi-finals there on three previous occasions and simply loves the courts, as he told Ursin Caderas. Well, for me, Barcelona probably is the more special tournament in the tour. Uh, you know, I'm playing at home here. I arrived to Barcelona when I was uh, 15 years old. Now I'm 30. So, you know, I'm feeling like at home, the people, uh, not just in the tournament, during the year, sometimes I practice here also, so so it's very special to me. Uh, we spend uh, time in the in the club with the kids, uh, with oh, with the people. You know that I know know them uh, for a long, long uh, time. And yeah, it was uh, the first uh, ATP tournament that I play. I remember when they gave me the wildcard to to give me the opportunity to to do the, my debut here. So it's very very special and always I try to do my best here. Do you remember what you felt, or how you felt when you played your first ATP tournament? 
I was very nervous, <laughs> you know. Uh, it was a good moment because I was uh, playing good and uh, with a lot of confidence. But you know, it's so different when you start in the tour, when you play also here at home with your family, with your friends, with uh, with a lot of fans supporting you. So it was very, very special to me, and I have a very good memories about it. Isn't that really difficult to, you know, have this pressure of playing at home? I don't know if it's difficult, if it's different, you know, but it's uh, strange because uh, we normally we play around the world and in Spain there are uh, just two tournaments here and in Madrid. But uh, I feel pressured playing here because you know that uh, you play in front of all of, all of the people that uh, know you a lot, that uh, support you. So it's a little bit different stuff but uh, at the same time it's uh, very special to to be in the last rounds of the of the tournament like uh, Barcelona I was gonna say I mean you also played really really well here yeah um, what do you think brings out the best in you is, is these courts is it the fans maybe of course they support you and they help you and also the courts you know I practice here a lot of times so Sometimes you know how to do it or, <laughs> or how to move on this surface. Uh, I don't know, the, the atmosphere is uh, incredible when I play here, so I enjoy a lot playing. And when you enjoy playing tennis, normally you have a good results. One man who might be relieved to reach the end of a weather-affected week in Barcelona is the tournament director, David Ferrer. Only recently retired, the former world number three joined fellow tournament director and current tour player Feliciano Lopez to swap notes. Ursin Caderas was putting the questions to them, starting with whether either of them ever thought they'd end up in this position at all. Not really, no, I don't think so. Well, for at the moment, I am tournament director uh, this week because now in this tournament, Feliciano uh, is a tennis player. Uh, in the next two weeks, he's going to be change role. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, when, when I started playing tennis, I would never thought that uh, I'm going to be, you know, working as a tournament director um, and in Madrid, which is my hometown, and I'm so happy. But there's also the part that I'm still a tennis player, and I'm an active tennis player, and I'm really enjoying my time, you know, now as a tennis player too. So it's true, but uh, asking your question, so ask, answering your question, I think it's... Uh, it's fair to say that both of us, we, we have never imagined to, to end up being tournament directors. What's it like? Is it hard? Uh, it's, it's harder than the <laughs> tennis player, for sure. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's different, it's different. But anyway, I'm very, I'm very proud to be a tournament director of uh, Barcelona. For me, this tournament is really special. You know, I, I came here when I was uh, a kid, so... Mm. For me now, it's, uh, it's 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 nice and it's nice to be here with our close friends like like Feliciano because, well, we we played uh, each other uh, a lot of uh, a lot of years when we 20 were times we yeah. twenty times we played. Yeah, twenty times. I think twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the player that I played the most. Under yeah. twelve uh, years old, I, I thought that was we were twelve. Time, yeah. No, yeah. he was he was. 11? Or he was 11, I was 12 uh, the first 12, time yeah. we played wow. in Madrid. So and who won? I he, won he, that he match. He was much better But than then me. he was a way, way better than me, so... No, but the first <laughs> yeah. time I got him. <laughs> and how do you think he's doing as a tournament director? I think the most difficult part is to, to, 
to change your mindset and to change your focus, you know, because when you're a tennis player, you only think about practicing, about, you know, eating, resting, you know, you know, be ready for the, and, and to prepare well for, for the matches. This is the only, the only thing that you put your focus on. And when you are a tournament director, you have to think about a lot of things that they will never be been here in your mind. So this is the, for me the most difficult part. Dealing with the players is nice because you you know you know most of the players and you know and not everyone, but you know 90% of the players that I have to deal with, I know them. But to be involved in different things um, and to pay attention to things that you never paid attention before, this is for me the most difficult part. What's it like to deal with players like Feliciano? <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it's, uh, well, with Feliciano it's easy because he's uh, a close friend and well, uh, he's uh, humble, he understands uh, the part uh, as a tournament director and, and he's easier with, with him. But anyway, the, the, the good point is that uh, I was pro tennis, so, so my, my goal is uh, uh, to, to, to give them the, the, the best facilities uh, to be comfortable uh, on, the, on the tour and on the tournament. Yeah. Do you miss him on the tour? A lot. Actually, I told him many times that he's, he should be still playing because he's, you, you see him, he's in, he's in great shape and uh, we, we hit a couple times this year and yeah. he was, he was as, as tough as he was and nothing, nothing changed since uh, he played his last match um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he could be playing on the tour still now. And uh, of course, you know, everybody misses him a bit a lot, you know. When you go in the locker room now, he's not there anymore, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a very sad feeling. But uh, he has a great life with his family, with his new role here in Barcelona. So I'm very happy for him, you know, that he, he still, you know, have a lot of things in life that he can enjoy. And um, yeah, of course, we will miss him, of course. I mean, I think it's... It's uh, Norman, you know, he's been around for so many years and he's been a great mate. Um, but, you know, life, uh, tennis life is like this, you no? Know? It's going to be over one day and uh, there's a lot of things, you know, after tennis that you can still do you, do you understand now why he's my best friend on the tour? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to be honest, you know. And have you thought about a comeback? He's not prepared at all. No, he's no, no. It's uh, other states and... and, and uh, by the same that he said that I'm, I'm really happy with my new room. <laughs> Very good, thank you guys. You're welcome. Thanks. It was a quarter-final appearance in Barcelona for young Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime, who's making improvements all the time with the additional guidance of Tony Nadal. With a first tour title under his belt this year, he's hoping to have a good few weeks on the dirt. I didn't have, let's say, the most amazing clay season last year in mm. terms of results. So this year is just an opportunity for me to try to do things better, uh, try to improve uh, on the surface, try to win more matches. So that's what I'm trying to do. And it starts with, with the training, it starts with you know, the work that I'm going to put every day. And Tony uh, helps a lot with that, you know, uh, on his input. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the matches and we talk about my game and, and how I'm supposed to, you know, approach uh, matches and, and the competition. Uh, and so he's, he's been a great help, of course. Uh, I've been together you know, for more than a year now working 
Uh, so yeah, things are things are doing good. Um, we have good some good weeks, bad weeks, but at the end, the work is, is is great and it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, and he knows a guy who's won this tournament 12 times. So. Also, also, my, yeah. my so he help. knows a few things. Yeah, about uh, <laughs> playing on clay, but I think he's also very realistic that uh, you know I'm not uh, Rafael. Like we have different qualities. Uh, it's tough to replicate what Rafael you know uh, did in his career on on clay. So. Uh, you know, uh, I'm more maybe of a hardcore player, and I've played well on grass as well. So, of course, it's different uh, strengths. But um, I try to, you know, he, he he adapted also, you know, his his inputs, or let's say, he adapted to the player he's working with. Also, I think he, he's not uh, approaching it like like he wants to play me to play like uh, like his nephew. Uh, <laughs> I think that would be wrong. But uh, anyway, you know, he has a great knowledge about tennis, and uh, he knows he knows a lot. So. He's able to help me. So there's a big, well, two big moments at the beginning of the year with the ATP Cup that you yeah. won with Canada, and then obviously Rotterdam, your first tournament. Yeah. Um, it, did you find it hard afterwards to kind of keep going? Because uh, this was such yeah. a big moment. Well, not particularly. I played well also the week after in Marseille. I reached the final um, after Rotterdam. Uh, of course, yeah, these were great memories, great, great highlights so far. Um, you know, winning that title. Took a great weight off my shoulders uh, to have that in my pocket, uh, but of course, I mean, after I had disappointing results uh, in the states, not you know winning as much as I as, as I would have liked to, but um, but yeah, sometimes it's it's not always easy to explain why. Uh, I yeah. was feeling good, training well, and you just uh, sometimes you're unlucky and you lose uh, a few matches. But uh, I try to focus on what's been good so far this year. I mean. Uh, I can't complain. I've had, you know, the best uh, start of my career, best start of a year in my career so far. Um, I'm still in a good position, you know, in the rankings and the race. So I tried to build on what's been good and, and, and try to win more. Felix Ogialiasim, who will have many more Barcelonas to come. While the same cannot now be said for seven-time Grand Slam quarter-finalist Tommy Robredo, who after 23 years on tour chose Barcelona, one of his 12 ATP tour titles, as the perfect place to bid farewell. It's my home. Uh, I grew up here. This is my tennis club. Uh, it was my first uh, professional tournament when I was uh, 16. I played in court number one, the qualifier. And then I, I passed it. I won the two matches. And then I, I played uh, Sanguinetti and then Safin and then uh, Todd Martin. So it's great experiences. And uh, I know it's the best way to, to finish. You know, I think it's a long career. And if we have a tournament like this one at home, it's an obligation for me to finish here. Can you remember what it was like when you were 16 and played on this court for the first time, how you felt? Well, obviously, I was uh, just uh, walking around before the match, just uh, watching people, talking to my friends, things like this, and then I had to go and, and change myself and go to the tennis court because uh, I was playing, no? Because the year before and the year before, I was always coming the Wednesday because uh, from my hometown, all of the tennis clubs, uh, they come on Wednesday here. So I was coming here and getting autographs from all the, of the players. So when I was 16, I was here and I was playing with all of these guys. So yeah, it was a great experience. When you were a kid, who did you look up to? I was a little bit special because uh, I didn't have a special player that I, I wanted to follow. Uh, I, I loved Sampra Surf, Agassiz Return, uh, things like this, no? special things from each player. But, but I was not following one in, in a specific. 
do you remember getting an autograph from from one of the players here, from one of the big stars when, when growing up? When you... I had autograph from all of them because I was on the door here just waiting for them all day, and I was watching maybe a couple of uh, points, and I was getting autograph and everything. And when I was arriving home, my, my mom just was looking at the autograph and said, "What did you want to do with this? You don't know who is anybody." So he was throwing it away. So the, no. year, the year after I was coming here, he was getting autograph from each one as well. And it was the same way, so I don't know. I had autograph from everyone, and also the coaches and the friends, because sometimes I was, uh, I know, in my player guest, it was a friend. So when we were going to practice and he was coming uh, with me, so I was the kid asking autographs to him, to the coach, and to everybody. Uh, you should have taken notes. Who, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I should ask for the name and everything. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, who are you? <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, I know, rude or... Uh, can you give me an autograph and also what's your name? So I was like this. I was getting the autograph of everybody. <laughs> you also won your only ATP 500 here in Barcelona. Um, and it was a five-set match. Um, can you talk about that match? And is there, are there memories that still stick to this day from that match? Yeah, I remember it was set for me, set for him, set for me, set for him. And then on the... On the fifth, I was uh, serving for the match, and I was uh, cramped at the end. Uh, I don't know it's in that situation that you th you think that you are not going to be able to finish, but then I could manage it to finish. And then I remember just uh, winning the last point and watching around and seeing all the family, friends, and and people that I know from from here. Now, I have been many years uh, playing in the different clubs, just making tournaments of uh, young ages. And I know everybody from tennis is here, no? so mm -hmm. it was amazing to see all around and see all of these people. And I don't know, it's, if, if, if it should be a final against myself and, and another Spanish, uh, people maybe, you know, the crowd is going to be half and half. But I was playing in Argentina, so everybody was supporting me, or nearly everybody was supporting me. So it's something special that when you have 10,000 people just going for you, shooting for you, it's, it's great, no? And, and I could achieve winning here, which is not easy to win in your hometown. And I uh, know it's it's a great, great memory so, for sure. Why do you think now is a good time for you to retire? Have you thought about it for long? Well, age, uh, priorities. Uh, I know uh, I'm I'm gonna turn 40 next week or in two weeks. Uh, many years on tour. Uh, also, with all of the pandemic, I was not playing that much. And, and I have a family now. I have a daughter and I really want to stay home. Mm -hmm. So I always say the same, that uh, I'm going to quit the day I'm going to have a, a priority that, uh, you know, give me, uh, you know, full, uh, like, uh, better than tennis, no? And, uh, and being home with my wife and with my daughter, it's, uh, you know, it's much, much better than traveling now and getting a plane, being two weeks in South America or North America or going to Australia, so that's the reason. You inspired so many people as a tennis player. How would you like to be remembered? I don't care. Uh, no, I know. I really don't care. I mean, it's going to be people that is going to like me. It's going to be people that, that, that it's going to hate me. It's going to be people that it's, doesn't going to care. But I did my best. I. I practice and I got involved on tennis because I really won and I was enjoying as much as I could and I was fighting all of the matches to try to be better player and better player and 
if the people talk better about me or worse, everybody can talk whatever they want. It's free world and it's okay. But uh, to my family and to my friends, I want them to remember that I was a fighter. I was trying to achieve all the goals that I wanted and I was, I was never giving up. So that's when I want to show my daughter or my, my, my family. What's next for you? We'll see. We'll see. I, I hope there's going to be something involved in tennis. Uh, maybe not full-time as it has been of the last uh, decades, but uh, I love this sport, I love this world, and I will be you know, dreaming to do things like uh, things in, involved in tennis. But uh, I know for the moment I'm going to finish here and I'm going to enjoy as much as I can. And always, uh, when everybody was asking me what are you going to do, I, I said always the same. I think that when you are doing one thing, if you are starting to think in other things, then you don't give you 100%. Because in my case, for me, it's very tough to be focused 100% in one thing if I have another thing just that I want to go for it. Yeah. So, and I always say the same. I'm going to finish doing 100% tennis. And when I finish, then I'm going to sit, I'm going to check. I'm going to get bored sometimes at, at home. I'm going to be with my family and doing nothing. And, and then, for sure, I'm, uh, I know, I'm going to start looking for a thing that is going to give me you know, the passion that I had on tennis. And if it's something related to tennis, uh, for sure I'm going, to, I'm going to get it because I know it's a lovely world. It's, uh, I know, to, to be on a tennis court or to be like in a tournament and trying to give your best, yeah, you don't work for you don't work for nobody else. You you work for yourself to be better, to be better. And I know if I can help somebody do this, or I can help to organize an event, or I can do things in in the sport world. I think it's 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 a great type of, of life. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com. Time now for the final edition in our Coaching Masterclass series from the World Tennis Conference, supported by the Global Professional Tennis Coaches Association and the Seagal Institute. Over the past few weeks, we've had expert insight in communication, court positioning, mental development and the nuances of the doubles game. And this week, to wind things up, we look to the future and the issues coaches should or might start thinking about in this ever-evolving sport. One man who holds that question central to his research is internationally recognised sports scientist, Dr. Jack Groppel. In life, we have to accept change. Most people don't like change, but change happens. So how can you learn to accept change? And even as almost optimistic as this sounds, how can you welcome change? because change will make you stronger. That's where you start looking at the difficulties in life will make me stronger, you know? Uh, and, I, and I don't mean this to be overly simplistic. How can we find a way to do it better? I think, I think you've heard me say this, innovation is everything. Innovation is the key to everything. So we always have to check in with ourselves from the outside looking in. I think sometimes we, we say we're creative and we're innovative, but we're not checking. Like, What's our client think? What's, what, what's going on? Is there a new way to do this? Is there a better way to do this? Or, you know, for example, some coaches, they start coaching and they coach the way they were coached. 
well, is that the right way or should you study to really understand that there might be better ways of coaching certain things? Um, so I think we're, we're, we're learning. So, but you want to be innovative with yourself, innovative with others, always check in with yourself from the outside and then, you know, give yourself advice. I mean, on what I can do to get better. Like it's that positive self-talk on how I can get better. When it comes to a positive mindset, there is none better than legendary coach of Andre Agassi, Andy Roddick, and Andy Murray. That is Brad Gilbert. I love, you know, Carlos Moya's statement about Rafa that he's trying to evolve. That's the same for a coach. That's the same for a player. That's everything that you're trying to do. You know how the coach has got to be prepared? Just like the player. Every day is a new day. And you got to keep learning, keep evolving, and keep watching to seeing things happen. Maybe that you can see them happen before they start to happen. And don't get stuck. I say that I coached Andre for eight years. When I coached Roddick, it wasn't about, can I get him to start doing things the way Andre was doing them? Every player has got his own strengths and individualities work with their strengths and individualities to become a better player, maximize their potential. And remember as a coach, never try to make everybody the same way. Look through their eyes, look through how they, you know, see the game and play the game and try to maximize their strengths. It's not how I play or it's not how the last player that I coach plays. So that's, what's really important as a coach that you learn from each player that you're coaching and try to maximize their potential. So change and innovation is important. But what will that look like on court? A question we put to the full-time coach of Felix Auger-Aliassim, Frédéric Fontin. In future, it will be uh, uh, another level. And uh, of course, we are going to progress in, uh, in knowing uh, how to improve, you know, uh, physically, by the, the neuroscience, etc., but the future player, it will be like, uh, yeah, physically moving like, <laughs> let's say like, like like Djokovic, you know, moving on the court with like a, a better serve because we can see now the the, the serve is like really important, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, so strong serve, good mobility, and. Uh, we can see that the last 10 years, it's more like, except for Federer, but the, the solidity in the, in the baseline is, is really there. All the, the players are like uh, controlling the ball, you know, doing a lot of rallies, you know. So the future, I will say that uh, he, he, the player will be able to, to maybe to go a little bit more forward, you know, to come a little bit more to the net. So having this strong serve, capacity to, to rally at, from the baseline, but also like in the 90s, like to... to to go to the net, let's uh, maybe because now nowadays the players are a little bit, uh, yeah, always like in the history of the tennis, uh, it's like when there's uh, like a hole up, it's coming yeah. to the other balance. So let's say maybe some player that uh, yeah, all the shots, like uh, aggressive shots from the best end, but also uh, going more to the net. Fresh from a run to the final at the Serbia Open, where he eventually lost to Andrei Rublev, Novak Djokovic, the world number one, is always looking for improvement. One man supporting him all the way with that is his physical coach, Marco Panici. There are so many areas to improve, and thanks God again. Uh, now, nowadays, it's much more easier to, 
to, you know, to have a research on that and to try to understand how it's going on. I mean, for example, um, just to give you some example, uh, we have uh, lately, I mean, I'm going uh, much more into this heart rate variability that can give us, for example, a very good feedback and data about the internal load of our player. Until now, we are very good on to calculate the external load. But the internal load is uh, it's not easy to have some data, some numbers, let's say like this, pass me the word, in order to understand what is going on inside our player. Mm -hmm. So this is one, or I mean, for example, I'm thinking about um, inertial machine that, um, you know, in one sport uh, as tennis where acceleration, deceleration is very important. I always say that uh, probably Usain Bolt in, can, can reach the ball easier and faster in drop shot, for example, than Novak. And then Usain Bolt, maybe he needs 20 meters to stop because he's in his, uh, in his uh, let's say, training is not making too much uh, attention to decelerate. Uh, tennis player, actually, they have to be able to accelerate and at the same time very fast to deceleration. So these uh, um, eccentric and concentric pace have to be very well-trained, both, both, both of them. And that's why this machine, for example, give us a lot of uh, uh, possibility to, to, to make more emphasis in one or other um, kind of contract, muscular contraction. So, and we have also a lot of data back. So make much easier our job. So again, so it's important to understand what, the, what, what we need on court and to research and look for the new uh, development uh, research that give us, uh, you know, possibility to use uh, tools and items very, 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 very useful. The coach of the future is like, uh, is going to be like, uh, he needs to be like a generalist, like to, to know, uh, to have like a, a good standard of knowledge in every part um, of the, let's say, of the, of the, uh, of the game, but more of that is like, of, of course, technically, tactically, physically, uh, the mental part will be really important with the, the improvement of the neuroscience, the new technology to be able to, to, to repeat a little bit less because you are, you, we know more how the, how the brain and the muscle are, are working. You know? I think uh, this is a really, a, a really important a, a aspect. And also uh, we can see that, uh, that the, the teams are bigger and bigger and bigger around the player. That means you, have, you need to have like uh, ability to communicate, to manage a team. Uh, it's uh, yeah, this ability to adapt to your player, to communicate with the team, you have to be like, a, uh, to have a large spectrum uh, of, uh, of skills. It, it will be definitely already there. It's like all the, the new coach, they, are, they have all those, those, those skills. Thanks once again to our guests, Frederic Fontan, Marco Panici, Brad Gilbert and Dr. Jack Groppel for their views on the future of coaching and also to our guests earlier in the show. Well done too to Carlos Alcaraz for winning already his third title of 2022 in just April. He's still just 18 years old. Incredible stuff. I'll be back next weekend as we look ahead to the Masters 1000 events in Madrid and Rome, both of those on clay. In the meantime, come back to the podcast channel on Wednesday for the full version of that chat with Tommy Robredo. That's well worth a listen. And for all the latest news, scores and rankings, remember, go to atptour.com. That's the website. Or you can download the latest version of the app which now combines both ATP and WTA. That is the ATP WTA Live 
app. Well worth a download. I'm Sir Belosier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. <laughs>